he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bolotta. I'm here as I am every week at my kitchen table. Sometimes I'm not <laughs> with the one and only Alex Apostolidis. Hey, Alex. Hello, and welcome home. Thank you. It's Thank good you. to have you back in our city. How are you doing? I'm all right. You know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm okay, but I, I feel still, I feel like I'm in this fog. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, um, it's kind of odd, you know, mm-hmm. it feels a little bit uh, bizarre to me. Uh, a little was, alternate uh, universe, huh? Yes. I don't think yeah. that I've really fully, uh, really fully processed yet. Um, I've had moments uh, we've all had moments and, uh, you know, being with the family, we were all pretty tired by Friday night and, uh, uh, my mother got a little upset. And so we disbanded, um, but it, uh, it was hard, you know, it was, it was yeah. due to exhaustion, mm-hmm. of course, but, but, you know, it's just, uh, it's hard. And the last thing I want is for us to start arguing with one another. And, you know, we have our we have our our uh, dysfunctions like any family and you know we have our blessings too like mm-hmm. any family and so it's it's really a question about how we want to look at it all and how we want to perceive it and so trying to stay really upbeat um and remember all the great things and be thankful for the time that we had and with with pop and uh you know, the trips and, uh, the laughs and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the fact that he was just a tremendous father. Um, and you know, that's, I think maybe my, my takeaway is when somebody, you know, I, I, like you, many of my friends have lost their parents, so I'm late to the party. And so it feels very hard for me to whine because everybody knows what this feels like. And it's, it's a rite of passage, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the way things are. It's, 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 it's mother nature. It's, you know, it's that the earth keeps spinning and we're just here for the ride. And um, so I, I don't want to whine too much about it, but I did get to spend a lot of time when I was writing my, my dad's eulogy uh on him and all the wonderful things that he was um and so you know i'd be sitting there writing and then i just start bawling you know because i was just you know i was transported back to mm-hmm. um you know times in my life uh when my father quite frankly could have smacked me one good you know because <laughs> i certainly deserved it uh but he never did never even raised his voice you know i mean he was just so 
calm and even and so much character you know he just he lived his values you know and so i it's that's what i focus on on all the great things and um when i cry it's because i'm thinking about those really wonderful times because you know i just know in my heart since he had the stroke in 2019 that he hasn't been himself and uh that prepared us for you know what what happens and so here we are so um i believe that the house is in order and yay yeah and it's not whining i just i i really want to put that out there it's not whining it's it's grieving and it's important and it's not a feeling that's really ever going to go away you're just going to you're going to learn how to manage them and there are times where those feelings will still overtake you and overwhelm you and in my view it's a blessing when they do because even though you know it's it's been over 30 years for my mom and 23 years 24 years for my dad they still overtake me and i think how lucky am i Mm-hmm. to have had such a wonderful parent, wonderful parents. So Thanks. that's not whining. That's tribute. That's honor to me. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I have to say, though, uh, it's, you know, I, I have the luxury of being a bit older and having had to deal with loss already. So I'm, I think that does make it a bit less hard i don't want to say easier but less hard um because i know what loss is and (laughs) i i have the capability now of dealing with it and although it sucks uh and it's not something you really want to go through you do you do develop the mechanisms if if you think about it and you're you know you put the work in to deal with the loss and so that's like you, I choose not to think of it as a loss, but of the wonderful blessing that I had, that my father was just such a terrific father. And by the way, let me just say that um, he was one of five and he was the best one of five. You know, we got the guy out of those five who was the most uh responsible and committed and dedicated and uh had some direction as well you know and he wasn't the oldest either um and so you know there's so many blessings (laughs) so many there could it could have the the universe can go in any which way that's right you know and so you just have to, you know, be willing to deal with whatever life brings you. And, and so there it is. And this leads actually to one of the things that uh, I wanted uh, to mention today. I happened to read a PCMA uh, uh, convene magazine article. I was looking at some magazine articles and, uh, there was one that was called how to deal with seven curveballs thrown at event organizers. And I thought, wow, this is very interesting uh, because we are certainly in a, in a time frame of curveball throwing. 
So uh, I thought I would share the seven that PCMA Convene, Convene Magazine listed as the seven curveballs that we are facing today specifically uh, in the conference space, uh, the event space. All right. So the first one, the first curveball that planners are dealing with is the fact that there's short staffing. Mm -hmm. So the fix there is to plan to bring some extra staffing if you can, uh, because chances are high that at least 10% or so of your coworkers were, will either get COVID or need to quarantine because of potential exposure. So if you are planning and you have a staff of say 10, then you're gonna to wanna to think about increasing that staff to make up for the fact that some people may not make it to the actual event on your team and be able to be there. Makes sense? It does. And there's a lot that goes behind it because if you have to prep all those people they have to be ready and know what they're doing in case they're needed. Yes. Yeah, so bringing them in earlier in the process is really, mm -hmm. if that's something that your budget will allow mm -hmm. or your circumstances will allow, that's key, right? That's ideal mm -hmm. because then you're bringing them along for the ride. Even then, unless they have experience in the space, there's going to be a sense that they've been thrown in once they get on site. So the more lead time you can give them to that point helps because it is like being thrown in on site once you get there. And all of the planning, as you know, all of the planning is great, but there are these curveballs. Mm -hmm. And so you want to give these people, your staff, time to think about what they're doing as well so that they can deal with the curveballs. Otherwise, you're just exponentially increasing your curveballs, right? They're also coming mm -hmm. at you. Yeah, good point. Space conflicts is another curveball that uh, planners are dealing with right now because of the rebookings during the pandemic. Um, and so some of the venues are really squeezing in groups to make it work with new dates. And, and um, the meeting rooms that you're contracting for may have been double booked. So you want to be sure to reconfirm those meeting rooms before you go. Do that in advance. Make sure that all the rooms are still yours. All the all the really fine planners that we work with do this, take mm -hmm. this step. Uh, they are on their room block like flies on rice, right? Because uh, it's important and you know everything depends on your allocation of space. So it is key to do those confirmation calls and make sure you have what you need. Um, and I, I think it's fair to expect that the venues are communicating this with you in advance. And if you are in a spot where you get somewhere and you find out that your space has been squeezed off by another group and you had no idea that was happening, I, I think we have to be forgiving, but I do think that that is really not appropriate. And there should be a discussion with that venue about proper notice at the very, very least. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people are trying to make up for lost time mm -hmm. and it isn't always 
what could happen at a venue is there could be multiple salespeople selling the space and it doesn't come to light until maybe there's a sales meeting that oop, there's an issue, even though there's a calendar, uh, you know, it can happen in a variety of ways. So we want to try to be in this period of time, I think a little bit more forgiving, but there should be at least an expectation for a conversation mm-hmm. in advance so that you can prep and prepare. Not just a, oops, that's the way it is. Exactly. You know, and I know a lot of groups that really want their own space and they, they really are emphatic about that. Uh, and in those cases, you might have to, you know, work with the venue to do some concealing of the space. The venue might need to do some of that themselves. You know, there, there might need to be some concessions you got to be open to that as well on all sides, right? It's not mm-hmm. about, I think at this point, it can't be about, at least for now, you double book the space. I'm mad at you. This shouldn't happen. I want this, 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 and this. I think there, the conversation really needs to be more about, I get it. You know, there are a lot of moving, uh, you know, f- a lot of things moving at once simultaneously when you're trying to plan a meeting. And it's not just about one person's calendar. You know, you have to float the, the dates and getting all those people to buy. It's, it's a process, right? Well, and let's look at, go back to the very first one, the short staff. You had a lot of people that started the process of an event and then COVID hit and a lot of those people were laid off. And so there are holes right. where information just doesn't exist. So there has to be some allowance for that too. Everybody's scrambling to make sure that everything's filled in, all the, the blanks are filled in, but we're not there yet. No, we're not. I think that what we're just saying here is that this is a curveball. It's happening. Let's try to uh, address it with as much a grace and understanding as possible while also making sure that the needs of the clients are met, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a certain point when a planner could get a lot of hack for a group being right next door or taking up some of the ballroom space. There, there are circumstances when the planner has no control over that and could still be the one that gets all of the flack. So it's important to know that too. You know, it's not always the planner just saying, well, this is a problem. Sometimes it's a problem, you know, and there are meetings that are very, very uh, confidential. You know, you can't go into every, you can't go just walk into any corporate meeting you want. They have security. They want to make sure that nobody is there that shouldn't be there and hearing information they shouldn't be hearing. So it's, it's not one of those things that, um, is is it's an important issue you know it's it's not something to be taken lightly but we just need to with some understanding so you have to be flexible and just but not a doormat right and be willing to make to (laughs) be willing to work in the situation to be willing to make it work uh here's something that's interesting first time exhibitors these are for planners that have an exhibition space a trade show um you know, the exhibitor, the exhibiting company itself may not be new to the to the event, but 
they could be placing somebody new in charge of that booth for their exhibition. And, you know, as a planner, you're dealing with a representative from each of your showcasing uh, organizations that are taking space, right? And with each of them, you have to make sure that they understand the rules and the regulations and how things have to work and where their space is and blah, 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 and all the many things that they can buy and sell. And, and then you have to work as well with the union. Usually it's a union house to get all of that stuff into the exhibition hall. It's a lot of moving parts happening as it usually is with planning. Uh, no surprise there, but to have people that are now in charge of a booth from a particular exhibiting company that's new, having a person, one new person increases the workload because now you have to make sure, right, that that person understands all of the protocols and procedures. And that's, that's hand-holding. Mm -hmm. That could mean some missed deadlines and late fees because you're not always aware that somebody new is going to be handling the booth when things come up, right? Uh, there are, you know, you don't have control as the, as the planner. You, you, you take what's given to you in terms of who is going to be at that booth from the exhibiting company. And if there isn't anybody there or they're short, you know, they're short staffed and they, they haven't selected one yet and they've got a million other priorities, it could be that you won't have somebody representing that company until you're close to the show and you've done much of this already yourself. Uh, and now you realize, oh, this one company is not, you know, we haven't gotten anything from them. So it could be a, a real push to the end. It's so especially much detail if, that goes into that. Yeah, especially, you know, if you've got a small show, mm -hmm. maybe not, but if you've got a large show with a lot of, uh, of exhibitors, yeah, it's very hard. I, I work with one company, Seco Global Logistics. We love them. Mm -hmm. and they always have a trade show uh, format, uh, or, or they had before COVID um, as part of their their uh partner meeting and i have to say heather spooner shout out to heather spooner because that gal at Sika global logistics handheld every single one of the i want to say 40 exhibitors that they had uh and it was very time consuming and laborious but she did it with a smile mm -hmm. and with the understanding and here's the key to that the understanding that everyone was spending money to be there and that money was helping to defray costs of her meeting. So she treated them like clients and um, they came back year after year after year after year. And I, 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 I have to say it's because of the way that Heather approached them and cajoled them and made sure that everything that they needed and wanted was there for them without ever, ever, ever giving anyone the impression that what they were asking was just a bit too much, you know, too much of a lift. So, and I got, I'm got to work with you one year on that, just with the needs for each booth. And boy, was that a learning experience for me? You know, it's, again, I hail from the performance side. So to know, oh, we need to know how much power, how, what's, what's your drop, what, everything, just the, the amount of small details that if, unless you're doing it, you have no idea 
what is needed to make one booth set up and be successful. So that was, and they're dealing with 40. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot of details. It is. And, and I should also say that depending on where those exhibitors fall in the, uh, in the experience realm of, of doing these trade shows, some of them, you know, they have a team and that's what they do. They go from trade show to trade show to trade show. They set up the same booth until they make a big change, but it's still the same team that sets up the booth, you know, does all of the stays there in the booth. So it's, it's, it's one of the things that helps the meeting to be successful. Mm -hmm. Right. But then there are other companies that are small like us. Right. So we might take a booth and then in the middle of everything else that we have going on, now we have to focus on that booth, what we're going to put in it, how we're going to man it, uh, all the things that we're going to need around it, you know, and so it's not as easy for a company like us, right. a small company. And so if you're on the other side of that, you have to have that, that awareness mm -hmm. of who you're dealing with. You really need to know who your audience is, right, to, to make that work correctly and not uh, lose exhibitors along the way. So number four is overloaded account and project managers. Nearly every hotel, general service contractor, AV team, registration company had to lay off a significant number of client-facing team members. Uh, and some of them are coming back and some of them aren't. Some of them are, you know, struggling to get people to come to work, as we know. Um, so it's important to be focused on the fact that, and I know this is hard. It's, it always seems to fall right on the planners, plate. but you may be short staffed, but it's important to think that you, your account managers, uh, on your venue side, on your, on your, uh, vendor side, uh, are also short staffed. And you, you want to remember that at the end of the day, your goal, your objective is to get the conference done, the meeting done, whatever it is completed. And you want to walk in understanding that they might be a little bit of a little bit short staffed. You know, you gotta, it's how do I say this? It's one thing to understand it from a theoretical point of view. And it's quite another to understand it from a practical point of view. It's easy to sit here and say, we all have to be understanding that people are short staffed, but it's when we're in the trenches yes. that that's when we have to remember because that's, that's the crux of what we do, right? That's when we have to be our best, the most hospitable, the most accommodating, you know? If we can't be that when we're sitting at our computers planning the meeting, then we have to be that on site. And so go in understanding that people are going to be short staffed. Yes. This is yes. like the third time we've mentioned this. It's interesting. Seems to be the number one issue that we're all facing in, in this uh, industry today is this, this, the lack of not only staff, but trained staff, people that mm -hmm. know what, what, what they're doing. 
Uh, well, if I can add to that too, there, there's an expectation too, especially when you've always received a level of service from a particular organization, company, event, production, whatever, that you're still going to be receiving that. And it's the, the team that short staff still wants to provide that same level. Right. But there, as to your point, there has to be some understanding and patience because while that same level can be given, more time is needed right. to give it. Right. And we don't want to beat up the people who are trying to give it because that's ultimately what happens when we blow up on site. Mm-hmm. The, people, the people that are working the hardest get the crap. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that doesn't really help anybody or bode well. But here's the, here's the, the takeaway. It's okay to have the conversation in advance and ask, what are your staffing levels right now? And what are your contingencies if, in Good fact, point. you lose staffing? What is it? And in on your end, it's important to think, okay, I might need 10% more or 5% more people, depending on what your numbers are. Uh, but on the other side of that equation are your vendors and your venue, and you want to ask them what their contingency plans are and what their staffing levels are. And then take that all into consideration and know before you go. It's a good point. Right. Excellent point, Mr. Bellata. So here's one that will hit home with us because I can't say that I'm immune to this. I wish I was, but I'm not. And that is main room gaffes, or I would say ballroom or general session guffaws is what I would say. <laughs> you always have to laugh when things go wrong, even though yes. at the moment it isn't. But the, you want to lock in your run of show and you want to rehearse even more than ever. And it's not only because some of the labor that's sitting in those positions, some of the techs may be unfamiliar with your show, but even those who have been doing it for a long time are rusty. And I experienced this last year myself. Like, you know, I am, I counted on text to be at the top of their game after not being at the game and that was my bad because we had a hiccup and it and uh you know it was because everybody was rusty you could feel it you could feel the rustiness things uh people are not as quick to respond and in the world of av and technical production it's all about timing you know yeah. Alex, it's all about timing uh, and here are the things that people don't hear the things that clients don't understand. They understand it's about timing, but it's about two things, two factors. Then when the timing of the speed of the, of the operator who gets the call and hits the queue on time, and then the mechanism itself that's being queued, if that for some reason hiccups or takes a second longer than it did last time because it's a machine and it has, you know, it's not immune to making mistakes and having issues. Um, That's another something that, you know, could change or affect the timing. It's a two-step process. And to add to that, if you have somebody like a producer or show caller or me there giving the cue in advance, you're also, you also have that person right? That's in the mix. So timing is important. Yes. But as a show, as a, as a planner, it's important to think about 
those steps that are involved in making a cue come to life. And it's important to realize that your AV team needs rehearsal as much yes. as your speakers. And so when you use the rehearsal time on stage, um, which by the way, your technicians assume is for them to understand what it is they're going to be doing as well. But when you use it to make changes to your presentation and to talk about the minutiae of the presentation, you're really doing a disservice to everyone because you're not allowing the team that's working your presentation that's responsible for making sure those cues are on time, the opportunity to rehearse with you and ensure that they are. Some of them are easy. If it's a plug and play PowerPoint, which we all are so sick of, they're easy, right? You can pretty much, if you're on stage and you're gonna click ahead, you're gonna click your own notes, it's a bit easier. It's not immune to issue mm -hmm. and you still need to rehearse with the crew, but it is a little easier. I, I just see this as like, a, this is a major issue because I, I see this as being the difference between a lackluster presentation and one that could really move, motivate, inspire people. Well, and also if your team, if your tech team is fully prepared and rehearsed, then they have the opportunity when something goes amok to fix it quickly because they already know what they're doing. They know what's expected. But if they're trying to figure things out on the fly anyway, and then something goes wrong or there's a last minute change, you're throwing too much at, you know, right. you're throwing too much. And I, that I, level of stress is too much. It's too much because I think there's just way, there's like an over-reliance on the technology. Some, some clients understand that things go wrong, usually because they've experienced it. Uh, that's usually why they understand, oh, yeah, the power could go out, a screen could go out, uh, a mic could go out, you could have feedback where you didn't have it earlier in the room, um, because, you know, you could have interference with your, your, uh, your, uh, your, your radio, your radio raves, your radio <laughs> waves, microphone. Yes, Elmer. Waves, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like uh, because there could be a group uh, above you in this in the same venue uh, on the floor above you using the same frequencies as you've been using that you didn't know was going to be there. And suddenly they're there. They've appeared and they're using free, you know, all of that. So you're right. The more rehearsed that the crew is, the more time they have, the better they're going to be able to deal with the issues that come up when they come up. And that includes getting the show up, you know, giving them time for that. But that's a whole nother issue. Uh, room turnovers and refreshes. Many hotels have been have not been able, and I've seen this myself, to replace their setup crews to provide the same service levels as they did pre-pandemic. So everything takes longer on site, uh, and this is just another indication that we're short-staffed. Uh, and the staff itself could help by straightening out seating, taking, uh, you know, uh, 
folded papers off of the tables, uh, taking used glasses off the table. They can basically help to bus and reset the room if, in fact, timing is an issue and resetting those rooms is an issue. I would say this is a time when we can't feel like we're over and above that, you know, that we can't partake in that. I was on site for something a week ago and they needed help schlepping in water and I wasn't doing anything. So well, I went, went and schlepped water in. What right. do I care? It needed to be done. I also think it's an, uh, it's okay, not with every group, but with some groups uh, to, to say, make a housekeeping announcement at the end. You know, please, uh, if, if you can, please pick up your trash. Uh, there's a receptacle, you know, by the door. And if you can, please push in your chair for the next group. I think that's perfectly fine to ask people to participate in that. I wouldn't ask, you know, a roundtable of CEOs to do that. But I think, you know, there are uh, appropriate times when the audience itself can also help. So those are the seven, seven uh, curveballs that we're facing today as, as called out by PCMA Convene Magazine. Many of them point to short being short staffed, but there were space conflicts. The fact that you might be dealing with first time exhibitors, um, overloaded account and project managers, give them some slack. Um, the fact again, that uh, temps security and volunteers, you might need some extra support there because uh, you might be short staffed. Uh, rehearse your team in the main room, the ballroom, the general session, make sure that's rehearsed. And, uh, maybe even help with room turnovers and refreshes because of the short staffing issues. What do you think about that? I think that's great. And I'm going to just say this. I know it's not a real focal point, but I'm still going to say it. Be extra kind to your volunteers. If you have people giving their time to you, be extra kind and patient with them. And feed them if you have to. Yes. Like, and by have to, I mean, because they're going to be there because they're going to be there for more than just a few hours, mm -hmm. you know, um, take care of them, make sure they are hydrated. They have water uh, at the very least. I agree. Yes. Nobody on any team, regardless of their pay status is, should be um, undervalued. No, in fact, I would say this is a time to value people as much as you can, even yes. more than you normally do. Uh, that would be my takeaway. If you can, if you've got a little extra time, a little extra cash, whatever it is, show some appreciation. And um, I think it's important. It's a good time to do it. Yes, it is. So I read in AP News something very interesting um, that I, I wasn't aware of, and it's the American Rescue Plan. And it's also part of the coronavirus relief law that... Um, initially was signed by President Donald Trump and then uh, was uh, increased, expanded by uh, President mm -hmm. Biden. And uh, we're talking about um, $350 billion, uh, the coronavirus relief uh, law is making available for state, local and territorial and tribal governments for specifically for uh, travel and tourism uh, and hospitality. And so this fund is, is uh, funding, for lack of a better word, projects all around the country. 
that will enhance travel and tourism. Uh, in Nashville, for example, they're going to focus on more culturally diverse music festivals to bring a more culturally diverse population to its city. Uh, there are going to be several sports facilities in various cities built around the country using these funds. Uh, interestingly enough, I think it's Portland that's getting $450,000 to pay for graffiti resistant trash cans. And as, as big a chuckle we could get out of that, that, that matters. It makes a difference as to how the city looks and appears mm -hmm. to travelers, right? Uh, this, um, this is, uh, being touted as, uh, you know, a way to get people traveling again. And, uh, the National Council of State Tourism Directors, David Lorenz, um, spoke about the fact that, um, you know, COVID caused a big plunge in the market. Um, but now travel is projected to top a trillion dollars wow. up 45% from its 2020 low point. Uh, and that's according to the U S travel association. So there you have it. People are on the move. Uh, and unfortunately not, many times their luggage is not, their luggage is not, <laughs> and they're not as fast as they'd like to be. No. Uh, it's, you know, because all the things we just talked about are also impacting the airlines as well. You know, the short staff being the major issue there. Uh, and I think, you know, I have, I've been flying quite a bit lately and I've not been immune to this either. I've, I've been delayed and the things that we're hearing, uh, the, the reasons we're being delayed are, 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 uh, they're varied. Uh, but the fact that, um, pilots have to be brought in from another airport or they're short staffed a flight attendant suddenly, uh, that's happening a lot and causing delays. Yes. I think we just have to have our patience on when we go, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's easier than other times, you know, and when we're traveling for business, we're traveling for conventions, conferences, it's the least easy yeah. to be. Because you have a deadline. You have a deadline. You have you a deadline. Have right. You have, yeah. you have things to do, people to see, probably a booth to set up. Who knows? But, you know, you've got <laughs> staff to train. Yeah. So I guess I guess the takeaway there is uh, my my takeaway is whenever you can travel first thing in the morning. I think with with little fewer, less exception, you'll get to where you're going on time because the 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 days of direct travel at least from san diego are over you can't get anywhere direct anymore it seems i am i made that decision um because i do have two flights coming up you know the one i just took to vegas and going we were delayed three hours right right um for a one-hour flight for, yeah. um and you know there were thunderstorms in vegas so you know they it, it was what it was um Mother and nature. I am right. Mother nature. What are you going to do? I'd rather sit in the airport bar and have a cocktail than potentially risking my life to get somewhere. So, yes. but meanwhile, cool meanwhile, Las Vegas has like what 
one thunderstorm every five years? They just had something really torrential. Um, it was it was several days of no electricity and the and the strip being flooded and yeah, um, yeah. and that was okay. just this last week. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, the last time. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I, no, I, but I what I'm saying is, I am I am uh, flying, and I've I had to ask myself, okay, do I want to have a layover, and in that layover, potentially have one additional delay? So I'm going to Atlanta, and I could have gotten a really super cheap ticket on Southwest, and I love Southwest. But it was two two layovers, so that's three potential time slots for delays, and I went no, and I found I'm flying Delta and I'm going direct, and it was a little more money, and I went okay. But if I have a delay in the airport, once I get on the plane and we're flying, we're flying. Yeah, you're there. And, yeah. Fine. So, you know, if you can get direct, and it's not horribly more expensive. Yeah, maybe it's the places I'm traveling to. Uh, I do fly Southwest quite a bit. I'm really thinking about changing that now. Uh, I've been so so invested in the airline, you know, just traveling all the time that I gain. I accumulate a lot of points, and uh, so now it's about divesting myself from that airline and i'm not so sure I, i'm ready to do that interestingly yeah. enough today i saw i wasn't listening but i did see that fox news was doing a um, segment on the faa uh who is apparently asking uh consumers if airline seats are too small and yes Yes. I mean, and I have to say, yeah. I think Southwest yes. seats are the smallest of the one of the airlines that I fly. Uh, I don't fly them all, so I don't know. But absolutely, they're too small. And absolutely, I'm not even six feet tall. I'm under six feet. And my knees hit the seat in front of me. And God forbid the person in front of me decides to lean back in their chair. I'm, I'm, I can't do anything. I can't, I can basically just sit there because I'm so crunched up. It's too small. And if somebody is a little Zoftig, it's uncomfortable for them. And it's uncomfortable for the people mm -hmm. sitting next to them. Yep. I mean, I did on the way back from Vegas, I, sat like this, you know, with my arms in because I was wedged in between, um, you know, next to somebody, lovely woman. And, and, and I don't want to be that jerk that's going, Hey, I get half the armrest. I'm not, I'm not that person. So I sat uncomfortable because I didn't want to embarrass her, but yeah, right. I mean, there's like, not everybody's a size two supermodel and, you know, most of us are very much not. So, you know, but we, we have a right to be comfortable too. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. The seats need to be a little larger. And also they could just stand to be a few inches more apart. I, I understand that that does, you know, create problems with with finances and, you know, making less money, but they're charging so much more for so many ancillary things, except Southwest, I have to say they don't. Exactly, which is what they, you get good customer service and you get two bags checked and right. you don't pay for your ticket and then have to pay for your seat on top of it. 
That's correct too. And and also, if you do decide that you want to be one of the first fifteen on the flight, and you didn't pay for that business. By the way, they have four levels now. They used to only have three, um, but you didn't want to pay for the business uh, class fare. Uh, then you could, you know, try your luck, and if that those seats were open, you could be one of the first fifteen for an extra forty bucks. I think it is. Mm-hmm. So it's not outrageous. Here's the thing though that I've noticed lately, because they're there. It seems like flights are stopping everywhere. Like for for example, I flew from uh, Fort Lauderdale to Austin and Austin to San Diego on Monday. And I got on the flight. I was number four on the flight uh, for San Diego to Austin. And there were already, not including the pre-boards, there were already people on the flight. So I was like, oh, okay, well, didn't this flight originate here? Maybe not. Then I got on in Austin and I was number one, but there were already a lot of people on the flight. So in South, when you fly Southwest, all of the seats are pretty much the same, except the bulkhead and the exit row. (laughs) So if you're a savvy flyer on Southwest, you want one of the seats in the exit row and not all the exit rows are treated equally either. Some of them are still smaller on Southwest on the, on the 800s. They are than the 700s. There are more seats, but they're a bit tighter. Nonetheless, it's even when you spend the money and get to be one to 15, you may not get that one or two, you know, two or three seats that really are different on that carrier. Whew, that was and then you one. can, you can pay extra on Delta to have three extra inches of yes. legroom. On United as well. You can do so United. Three plus, extra yeah, inches. Right. I'm short, but I have long legs. That actually means something to me because that's it, where I get yeah, very that, 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 that matters. You're lower in the seat, but your legs are higher in the right. And then on Hawaiian, got a really good fare because my brother's taking me to Hawaii, right? Got a really good fare. But if I wanted a Nile seat, it's $18 more. If I wanted this seat, it's $54 more. If I wanted the bulkhead, the front, it's $64 more. Mm-hmm. So again, it's just nickel dime, nickel dime. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, pre-COVID airlines were doing really well. They were posting some incredible profits, you know, from all of this ancillary billing that it's almost like revenue uh, management for the airlines. You know, I'm, I'm sure they have them like the hotels do because they're all revenue streams now. It's even, even as that's the killer for me, <laughs> you can buy a ticket, but not get a seat. That to me is and I, <laughs> we rely on the airline industry, so we give them a lot of leeway to do some of the things that they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to. They wouldn't be in business, right? If they had to, if they had to pay back every customer, they didn't get somewhere on time. They wouldn't be in business. Oh well. Oh, it is well, what it is. It's gone are the than- day of the double decker planes where you can walk upstairs to a piano in a lounge. Not if you're flying uh, Emirates. Oh, really? Yeah, no, no, no. They're like spectacular, spectacular jetliners. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that we'll probably see those. I don't know if we'll see them in our future, but I can see that as, as a, a, an offering in the future of airline travel and that is somewhere in between the private 
traveler, the private jet traveler, mm -hmm. and the first class traveler, because first class is nothing anymore. There yeah. is no, unless you're flying transatlantic, right? Unless you're going out of the country, it's really nothing anymore. And so there, there's definitely room for a, for a higher level of service that's not, you know, $10,000 a seat. Um, because it's, there's nothing, there's nothing grand or fabulous about flying at all. At one point it was about jet blue and the fact that every seat had a screen, but now a lot of airlines have seats with screens, you yeah. know? Uh, and yeah, it's, there's, there's really nothing fabulous about flying anymore. It's really about feeling like you're being carted from one city to another it's the it's so degrading you really you really have to you know you have to go to the airport with a tremendous sense of humility in order to get to where you're going without you know having any issues with anybody i mean I, smile on your face and try to make people happy and it always right. comes back to you Right. It's the best way to go. Mm -hmm. I, I do remember when I was five years old traveling with my mom and I thought it was a dream. I didn't think it was something that really happened, but we, my very first time flying going back to Rhode Island and I was five and I talked to my dad or my brother, like, I always had this memory, but I know it can't be real about walking upstairs. And there was this lounge. And my dad said, no, that was your, you and your mom did that. Mm. Oh, that, you know, boy, did that put an expectation in my craw at five years old about what flying is. Yeah. The next time you're like, where's the lounge? Where's the lounge? Where's the lounge? And there's like, where's my martini? Damn seat and shut up. <laughs> Throw her off the plane. Oh, yeah. A little entitled brat. I mean, there and we some... weren't flying first class, by the way. I mean, we were we were definitely not flying first class. <laughs> but the thing about flights, then, if I might just say, is that people smoked on them, and so, oh, I remember just dreading that, and then getting off that plane and feeling like the first thing I I just had to jump in the shower. I just couldn't wait mm -hmm. to jump in the shower. Uh, so that's a, it's a, I mean, I still can't wait to jump in the shower when I get off a plane. There's something about that air that's so yeah. stale, you know, but it's not as bad. As no. And be. even when they started creating non-smoking non -smoking sections, come on, like we're sitting next to the smoking section. Come on. Exactly how that works. I, that, that, that to me is, it's one of the ridiculousnesses mm -hmm. of life of trying to please too many people, right? It just doesn't work. Um, the non-smokers will always be unhappy that the smokers are in relative distance if you can, I mean, and I can sniff out a cigarette smoke. I, I right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, I can, the other day I was in a, a, a outdoor restaurant in Florida and I swear I smelled, I couldn't see anybody smoking, but I knew somebody was, yep. I could smell it. So TwitchCon, is coming back to San Diego. What's coming uh, back to San Diego? TwitchCon. You don't know about TwitchCon? This is the convention that's all about uh, Twitch Interactive and focuses on the general culture of live streaming and video gaming. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. So it's ma it made a splash when it came on the scene. 
2019, it had 28,000 attendees. And so what's interesting about them coming, they're coming to San Diego, as a matter of fact, October 7th through 9th, TwitchCon will be here at the San Diego Convention Center with absolutely, and here it is folks, not one COVID-19 restriction will be imposed, zero. No vaccine history will be needed, no negative testing, no masks unless you want to. Uh, and at 28,000 people, that's a pretty bold statement to make. My nephew and his niece went to Comic-Con and that brings in far more than 28,000 people. And they did require masks inside. So that's they did a, it for Comic-Con, okay. They did for Comic-Con, yes. Uh, and now, um, God, I even hate to say it. Uh, I know. And there's but... some uh, word about maybe changing the name of monkeypox, but that has just been named a national crisis. And I will say this. I do think that um, we're being ultra careful in calling it a crisis. Uh, I, the caseload, I want to say in this country, I want to say it's still under 10,000. And maybe you can look that up while we're talking, D'Angelo. But this is, I think, with a, an, an abundance of caution that the U.S. is declaring monkeypox a crisis and and let's let's just be clear this is not just a crisis for gay men this is a crisis for for everyone because it's saliva is one way to get it touching somebody's lesions is another way but also bed sheets is a way to get mm -hmm. it um, and so there are ways to contract this virus without actually touching somebody who has it so this week, um, the caseload is 6,600 uh, wow. across the U.S. And a majority of those, I want to say more than half or about half, are from the Bay Area. Uh, I could be wrong about that. It could be at least half of the California cases are from the Bay Area. Um, but again, it's it's traveling. Uh, and what what is different about it is that doctors have realized it's being passed human to human. At one point, it was believed that you could only get it from human to animal contact, but that's no longer the case. So like viruses do, they mutate mm -hmm. and you know, they're strong. We, 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 we don't give them enough. Well, in this case we are because we're calling this a, a crisis you know, at this stage, which is important because at this stage, if we call it a crisis, we can get the vaccinations out there that are already, they're already available. They're just not out in the public space. They could get out there. We could get this thing done with and, and be done with it, you know, not continue on for years and years and years and years. Do we know, and I wonder if D'Angelo knows this, cause I know he's, he's been uh, kind of, um, looking into this if it's if those vaccinations are available a little more widespread now i mean literally my my daughter expressed not yet okay my daughter expressed a concern about this because she said you know she's monday we move her into her student housing and she said I'm a little nervous with the up you know with the increased cases of covid and with monkeypox she goes I'm a little nervous to leave home. 
Luckily, she's like, gonna. That's music to my <laughs> ears. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just to chime in, just to, just to chime in real quick. Um, they are still today. They just Biden just declared it a national emergency. So, uh, and California did a couple of days ago, and New York did a couple of days ago. So it's starting to kind of become a little more in the national consciousness. The problem is, is the United States kind of screwed the pooch a little bit when it comes to the vaccine, how they acquired it, because it was being acquired internationally. And so they let a bunch of the um, vaccinations go to European countries that should have came here first. So right now what's happening is, is that they are only doing the vaccinations uh, for high risk individuals. And so it's a whole questioning kind of thing. And it's primarily going for uh, gay, queer, uh, bisexual men um, who are sexually active and or go frequent, you know, uh, places that they would be in contact. So circuit parties, pride just happened, that sort of thing. But they're not really even giving out so many doses proactively they just started that in the past two weeks mm -hmm. uh up since may they were doing them retroactively so if you were exposed then they were giving you the vaccination so this way they can curb the actual um you getting the full virus but right now and they're only it's supposed to be a two dose vaccination just like covid was you get one and you have to wait 28 days and you get the next but right now because the united states does not as many doses they are um only doing one shot and they're releasing more and more so it's really keeping active and vigilant about where you can get it uh get in contact with your 211 if for whatever community that you're actually in that's who's going to really help you out like those county kind of things and um and even just a lot of doctors don't know so if you have an infectious disease doctor yes. it's one one thing but a lot of doctors really are not this hasn't been on their radar but it was something that was just affecting the gay community for a little while and the thing is is but it's now it's spreading because they're seeing it all over the place and so and uh higher numbers in spain and some european countries but it's starting to connect here in our bigger cities and i think that's why it's so important that, that it's a national emergency because this will help us to get mm -hmm. the vaccines out uh, and what I meant by available, it's the vaccine is already produced. It's already, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's not like a COVID situation where we didn't have anything. We didn't know what the virus was. And, you know, we have history here. Uh, you know, I think you just be abundantly cautious. Um, and, you know, I don't think that I would be dancing in a nightclub right now. Um, I don't mm -hmm. think that would be, that's risky behavior right now um dancing in a in a nightclub in a in a on a crowded dance floor so just be careful i think and i would i would say that to to illy as well also it's it's not just a rash it's not you know it's it's a virus so fever comes along with it mm -hmm. uh it's the symptoms uh extend more than just having a rash so let's right. also be careful not to go crazy right exactly yeah it's so, not fun i had chicken pox illy did not because i have her vaccinated and uh and i it, it wasn't fun i was five and i remember 
is that this vaccination is basically it's a smallpox vaccination even if you got one as a child you need the new one oh i imagine yeah yeah that's that's the whole thing yeah yeah the efficacy is not you know 50 years (laughs) you know yeah so wash your hands a lot you know it's it's another mass situation so it's it's transfer through droplets through open source that sort of thing and then also the healing time for this is not a five day ten day thing this is a two to four week situation because you have to wait for your lesions to completely heal and to completely scab over and for the new skin to show so this is like a big big deal this time so it's cutting it off now and if you can get your vaccination go and get it and just save the gene for it Okay, let's get off that subject. <laughs> Enough about the pox. <laughs> not, I'm not laughing at the pox, though. I'm not. Good. Don't laugh at the pox. So uh, I have nothing more for today, quite honestly. I mean, I didn't want to end with the pox, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to say goodbye. What do you have, Alex? You know, I just, I, I don't have anything either. I, I have next week moving the kid into college. So if you see me and you're comfortable, give me a hug. I told the guys at my grocery store, if you see me buying copious amounts of champagne, it means I'm a hug. I need a hug. Just oh. feel free to come up and give me one. <laughs> so. Do you need company to come and stay with you the first few days so you don't feel alone? <laughs> well, I've been pretty much alone for the last month because she couldn't the last three months because she couldn't right. live with me okay. up until the last couple of weeks. So, so, so it's already happening, really. Yeah. It's just it's yeah. just official. Then it's just going to be it's just official. And it's just so lucky because she's only going down the street. Yes, it's true. You know, it's so this close. She's going to be at your house every week. I, you're going to see that girl all the time. But maybe not the first couple of weeks because she's got a lot. You'll have a lot on her plate, you know, yeah. but once she settles into a rhythm, yeah. she's going to miss her mother for sure. I hope so. Yes, I'm okay. sure of it. <laughs> I'm so sure of it. I hope. But, you know, a little August, bit anyway. August is not a very um, busy month for events. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably the slowest month of the year, but I am going to an event uh, in August, and that is the podcast movement. It is an Ooh. event for the podcast community. And I just thought since we're doing this, I would take the opportunity to learn more about how to find more listeners and uh, how to be more compelling and give the listeners that we find more of what they want. So uh, it's three days in Dallas, Dallas, uh, and uh, I just thought, okay, this is a great thing to do because as you know, I made this my capstone project uh, for my masters to see what we can uh, cook up with this podcast. And I would love to talk with the team at some point about what that looks like. And I would love if people let me know if you're listening if you're not listening, let me know as well, okay? <laughs> Just let us know. That's if all. You're audio voyant. <laughs> exactly. Audio voyant. I like that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we, I guess the, the takeaway is my word here today. The takeaway from that is 
that we might be introducing some changes to this podcast. Uh, not sure. Uh, we we came to this podcast with a bevy of ideas and ended up just sort of hitting a rhythm and not really utilizing a lot of those ideas. Um, so we might go back to them or we might think of some new ones. Uh, but ultimately, I'd love for this podcast to have value. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to being a, a lighthearted listen, um, maybe one that gets you going, I'd love for it to have value. So that's what we're looking to do. I don't know. Give what us that- your thoughts. Give us your thoughts. Because I care. <laughs> I care too. Yeah. He yeah, just it. cares more colorfully. <laughs> I try. Why try? Do what I can. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot today. It's really? Hot. I think it's chilly. Are you You're serious? S- yeah, I walked outside and went, I need a jacket. It's cold. I thought I was going to the island today. I thought I was going to Coronado. And halfway through the podcast, I went, I'm not going to Coronado today. I'm going to Coronado tomorrow. So I don't oh, have an event. So I'm kind of, I'm actually glad because I'm thinking I'm going to be cold. So. Well, Coronado too, because it is a peninsula and it is on the ocean. It does mm-hmm. get a little chillier there, uh, especially in the evening when the sun goes down and it is an overcast day today. It's mm-hmm. white and overcast day. Uh, I don't think the sun came out at all, but um and I don't actually know why I'm I'm warm because it was like being in a sauna in Florida. Oh my lord! Seriously, I got up. I had to put my bag in the car to go to the airport, so it was about seven forty-five a.m. I walked from the door of the elevator lobby, maybe fifteen feet to the back of the car put the bag in the car, closed the trunk, which I didn't even have to do. It had a button. And by the time I was walking back to the lobby, I was sweating like a mule. I was like, what is this? I, I've only been out here like 10 seconds. It's awful. I don't know how they do it down there. I, I God bless. Cause n- no, I mean, I lived in Japan for two years and the humidity in the summer was, I, you know, no, I can't do it. I can't, just can't. It's, I can't, I can't either. I just can't. I don't know how they do it down there. I don't know. I just don't know how they do it. They, oh, you know how they do it? They don't wear much. That's true. This is true. They do not wear much. Yes. And I don't want to go off on this because, you know, people have the right to wear or not wear what they want to or whatever. But don't you think that people should stop wearing flip flops on a plane? Well, that's just a safety thing. Uh, That's what I'm talking about. It's just, I mean, you think, oh, I got to take my shoes off. It's a lot easier to do that. But not really. Okay. All I can think about, and I know I'm a little, you know, I I know it can be a little, what's the word I'm looking for? Neurotic. But all I can think about is you're on a plane, you're wearing flip-flops. God forbid it has a crash landing and now you have to walk on whatever terrain you're on because you survived in your flip-flops. I mean, let's Did get you learn pe- nothing from castaway people? 
Did you learn nothing? What about Lost? Didn't didn't that happen to them too? I didn't see that series, so I I couldn't tell you. But all you watch your shoes, people. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And I, perhaps stilettos are not the best choice either. I'm just going to say flip flops, stilettos. You know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we're only saying this because out of love. We care. We care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's the only reason. We don't want anybody to get hurt. And by the way, we don't want you standing in front of us either with your flip flops on, you know, crying because you don't have the right shoes on, blocking everybody else. Damn it. Take some responsibility. <laughs> was that was that a, a little sound effect? A little uh I you know, I think that they were just coming, they were agreeing with you. So that was their way. Yeah, it was there's been activity here lately. I love it. I love when people agree. I don't care how. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that's it. We talked about a lot of things uh, from the pox to uh, to the $350 billion that's being spread across the country for travel and tourism and hospitality. Yaha. And yes. uh, that's it for us today. If you enjoyed us, please keep listening. Uh, if you're listening on Apple, please give us five stars. And if you're listening anywhere else, just, just again, just keep listening. Tell us, tell your friends, tell your mother, tell your father, tell tell everyone. And uh, look us up online, bolada.com. Just look for the podcast tab and leave a message. We'll be sure to get it back to you or answer it right here on this broadcast. Is that all we have? That's all we have. It's all we got. It's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. That's it. Say goodbye. Kali Spera. What she said. <laughs> Stay engaged. <laughs>